And welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918, so you don't have to. Or perhaps you'll join us along. Um, like I said, my name is Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher on summer break. Uh, and... And I am joined um, by uh, the humble, the eloquent, um, the, the lovely Christopher Munden. Oh, thank you. He wasn't expecting that. Uh, I thought you were talking about John. <laughs> uh, and uh, Carnitas, chef to the stars, John Rosenberg. Good evening. Um, so uh, this week, um, <laughs> uh, so the Pulitzer Prize winning play from 1930 um, is a pretty simple play to describe, actually, um, in terms of what it is. In going the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and they the were earth black. is void and full of, and the darkness lay upon the depths, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then, I, I just did this, but I'll do this again. <laughs> dot, dot, a, dot. And then there's like a, an asterisk, and then... It says, but they were black. Um, so um, Green Pastures was written by Mark Connolly in 1930. Um, and it's notable because, um, and we've talked about, I guess, other um, configurations of um, plays with all black actors or all black actors doing work in um, by a black playwright in New York. But I guess this is the first play in a Broadway theater with an all black cast. So it was notable. For that reason, um, Mark Connolly is white, um, and the play is essentially just a, a retelling, um, a rather joyful retelling, I would say, of some of the greatest hits of the Old Testament, um, and a, sort of a wink and a nod to the New Testament in the very last moments. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Am I missing anything? Uh, no. Set in, I mean, some of it's set in kind of like rural Louisiana or in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I mean, the first scene is like... The first scene, but it, even like the heaven it has a kind of a, um, Arcadian feel to it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's actually really important, and I, I sort of would like to get to that. Um, so it's written it's, entirely in vernacular. Yeah, it's uh, it's written in dialect, uh, but in this case, uh, the dialect being African-American vernacular English, or AAVE, um, which Mark Connolly uh, does with sort of a broad brush. Um, it has, the play has been criticized um, for sort of, um, it's a minstrel-like portrayal. <laughs> Uh, um, African-Americans, um, and I think that, um, while reading it, one definitely, like, questions sort of the, like, authenticity, um, if not the... Oh, can I ask real quick? Yeah. Um, 
was the criticism, was it from 1930 or is it no, like... No, no, it's been sort of like, I mean, but it wasn't like now. Um, I don't think the play is like a right, right, right. But like, I would say probably from the 40s and 50s even. Got it. I think people were like uncomfortable with it. Um, but I think it when it premiered, it was probably, I think it was seen as like a, a very progressive sort of um, exciting moment. I don't know if any of the voices singing in the set would have been African-American voices, though. At the time? At the time. I mean, I'm guessing, like, Broadway theater audiences now are pretty white. I'm guessing in 1929, they were very white. I mean, probably by law. And the critical establishment and and the Pulitzer Prize committee, I'm sure, were all white. so I I started this play like I think I, you can probably hear at the end of the last episode I was like sort of gritting my teeth um, waiting for it just because like very little about it sounded appealing <laughs> to me um, and I think especially in the current moment it just feels very strange to be reading um, this play that is like maybe the like encapsulation of like well-intentioned white dude project with like just terrible. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> thanks, Tom. Um, uh, but I, my first reaction to it when I was reading it was actually one I was pretty like, some of that I was really into. Um, and I think he writes it as introduction, mm. something along the lines of like, heaven is a fish fry. And like, I think like, I was really taken by the idea that like heaven and God and like these stories are like made in the image of those that worship them, not the other way around. Right. Mm. And so that like heaven and God look like the people who are telling those stories. Um, so it, I, I think that was really powerful. I think the fact that he like is not one of these people like makes it sort of weird. Um, but I, I, I sort of love the idea that uh, that as we retell stories and reshape traditions, and I think especially the black experience, right, of like of having Christianity sort of like thrust upon you as you like lost your like own language and culture and religion, and sort of are having to like reacclimate to a new one. I think the like idea of reclaiming this tradition and making it your own is a really beautiful and powerful sentiment um, made only more strange by the fact that like he is doing it for them. Like he is ventriloquizing it in that way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I disliked it for those reasons. I also disliked it for the story and for man, God is an asshole, and those stories are often terrible. Like Noah's Ark and just like deciding to kill everyone. He's not, they're all sinners and they're all drinking and gambling, but he's not trying to fix the socioeconomic conditions that may have led them to seek a hedonistic lifestyle. He's just killing them all. Well, commits genocide against the Egyptians. He's really judgmental, sanctimonious. Yeah, that's why he, I, I don't that's like why, him. That's why he needs Jesus to be a communist. But 
Um, so yeah. what do you what do you feel like he was? So right, there's like the right. One of the worst things in the world is a well-intentioned white person. But like, what do you what do you think he was aiming to do? Well, so he didn't. He like adapted this. So this is an adaptation oh. of like. Um, oh, it's a book, right? Of like a book of like, of, uh, and I think again, like, like, I guess this is the thing is like I'm probably reading like I think the way I'm like reading of like this like sort of notion of like is probably not where this material came from. It's like my guess is that the book was probably not given to black like readers, but it was like a book of. Bible stories told in black vernacular given to like sold to, to white audience members. I could be wrong, but that sort of is my gut. Uh, and he translates it. So I think there is some like my guess the appeal would have been maybe some like social progressive stuff at the time of like having black folks on a stage and like having positive portrayals of um of them I like what you said about, uh, yeah, about um, humanizing the deity and about um, the way that we we see the deity in ourselves or ourselves in the deity. But I also would be really uncomfortable. I mean, I, I would also imagine that, like, probably not unlike, you know, minstrel shows that would have happened in the same theaters 30 years prior, like, I do really wonder around like how the jokes land, right? Like, um, is the is this like are these jokes being expressed within this vernacular that's like funny, or is the joke itself like, ha, God's black? Yeah, uh, I was thinking that with that Noah scene and and with that like smiting when God comes and floods the world, like whether that portrayal of um, of black characters gambling and drinking yeah, why did and... why did God smoke ten cent cigars? He's God. He could smoke a hundred dollar cigars. Were they ten cents? Maybe ten cents was a lot for a cigar back then. <sighs> Certainly, but right, he could have <laughs> smoked more expensive cigars. But he's kind of a humble guy, maybe simple pleasures. God, like got it, got it. I mean, I also think there's like a really, like, I think that like, it's like, especially weird in this context that it's like, like, it's, it's like, it is specifically about Southern African-American black people. And then you show those people being like slavers and the enslaved at the same time. Like when you're doing the Moses story, like that feels really weird. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, and also not making like those connections more explicit when like Moses was such an important like figure. Like, I, except um, I, w- I was, one thing I did like about the play is I was uh, going through reading it, listening to Spotify and whenever, and pretty much at the end of every other scene probably he mentions that a choir is singing a song. Mm-hmm. So as as he mentioned it, I would put that, song on and and the songs are great um old, old gospel songs but the the song that he put songs that he puts around the moses story do 
make that explicit. So perhaps, perhaps it was more than yeah. than a scene in the text. I mean, and I, I also think that would have been something that would have made this play appealing because it would have had a choir and they would have been singing these great songs. So it would have had like a musical aspect to it, a theatrical aspect. I mean, there's some things like, how the hell does that happen? Yeah. Right? He, he has like Moses's, is it Moses? Moses's stick turns into a snake like the the ark and, and the flood like these if they were realized in any convincing way on stage it would have been really theatrical and spectacular i mean it seems pretty high budge right like for um, sure big cast too yeah i think that's like i would i didn't really have the music playing and i do think that is probably something that probably roots it a little bit more like authentically um So can I ask this question? What, so when you were reading the first scene and you were kind of surprised that maybe it was something different, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where'd you think the play was gonna go? I don't think I thought the play was gonna go anywhere different. I think I was more like, I was more struck by the idea of like, I think I was giving a very generous read of like, it's really like, I was thinking about like, I could see a play being sort of, it's like Godspell, right? Like, or I could see a, like a play being done with like. Jesus Christ Superstar? Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat? No, I mean, Godspell <laughs> is specifically like a sort of like rambunctious fun retelling of parables. Like it, it's like, oh. it sort of has this like, let's put on a play vibe. Um, but I was thinking about, and this is like sloppy and like a comparison that I don't tend to like to make, but uh, I was thinking about like, oh, it'd be fun to like, have like religious gay dudes like talking about like recreating the store like these stories in a gay aesthetic and like having that be something that could be like the disciples right or like um adam and steve i guess um um but like that was like i'll tell what i'll tell you where i thought i was gonna go like in the first scene, I thought maybe that um, who's the devil? What's his name? Lucifer? It's mentioned in the first scene. I don't think they call him Lucifer. They call him I thought Lucifer was going to be white. Satan. They call him yeah. Satan. I thought, I thought the, he was going to well, appear at a, least. For a second, how I thought the play was going to go where white people were like the devil. Mm. Mm. But it didn't go that way. No, I mean, I think that no, is it there like wasn't there wasn't really any explicit um, racial policy. There was zero. There was absolutely zero. Like that, he seemed to be interested in discussing. Yeah, no, I mean, in that way, it's very much like it's very different than in Abraham's bosom, right? Which is a very like heavy and like also problematic, but like. Um, I think I struggle. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think there's a way for, I mean, it's 1930. I don't know. I don't like, I think it is a, a very hard task for, for this play written in 1930 to like hold under scrutiny in 2020. Um, I think it's like our cultural moment is just not. Yeah. Especially uh, now. 
Yeah, I feel yeah, like so certainly, it, but it, I do. But I do feel is... like I certainly, but I do feel like the thing that could maybe like carry some interest is an actual narrative structure or like a story within it that might be interesting. But it's, like, it's a terrible story. It's not like yeah. Ovid's Ovid's Metamorphosis. <laughs> is that like that? It's like a good narrative. It has all these mythologies arranged. Tear the Torah to shred. Tear the Torah to shred. Don't do it. Oh. <laughs> uh, no offense. Uh, but I mean, it's not arranged as a narrative. You to make a good narrative, you have to make like a Moses story. I watched. I watched this musical cartoon. I think it was with Prince of Egypt. Laura, Prince of Egypt. Yeah, yeah. classic movie of my childhood. Yeah. Um, probably, movie. I have a good friend, Laura, Jewish, about your age, and it was also a classic film of her childhood, and she had me watch it. Um, it was terrible. But to make a good narrative, you have to pick out a specific story. Yeah. I mean, and I trying to put it all into one, for me, it didn't work. This will shock you. It won't. But there are a couple of very uh, flawed musicals that try to do this, too. Um, oh, um, yeah. Uh, Children of Eden, famously not very good. Also, a really goofy 1960s musical called The Apple Tree, in which the mm. first act is about Adam and Eve, and the second act is like a Cinderella story. <laughs> Unrelated. Um, hmm. I mean, Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, that makes a narrative out of a single little yeah. episode yeah. from the Old Testament. And, and that is probably terrible, but, but maybe narratively sound. Yellow been. and blue and green and, and purple and black. And mauve and mauve and beach and purple and kind and, and mauve and blue. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, sorry, I'm just high on that for a second. Let me, uh, let me calm down. Why didn't that one? <laughs> um, one thing I was interested in is, um, so the 1930 Pulitzer Prize is like a 1929 play, right? Yeah. So like the play, the 2000, the play that just won the Pulitzer Prize was a 2020 winner, is that right? Yeah. So like in a way, this is the last play of the 20s and the uh the stock market collapse was in october 1929 mm. and so this play would probably have been on stage before that. before that and so i wonder if like it's like i don't know decadent mm. lavish production was big had an arc, had like a full choir. And I don't. Kind of stuff. I don't feel Big like that. I, I don't feel like that goes away in the 1930s, though, because I'm thinking of like, I might be thinking of movies, but I'm thinking of like Gold Diggers of 1933, or like I don't. I don't feel like plays all of a sudden became very small in the 30s. I mean, I also don't know. When was the small theater movement? Was that in the 30s? No, I don't know. I have no fucking idea. None of us are theater majors. Um. But I wonder, well, 
I think we may see other themes in the 20s, even if we don't see less lavish productions, then then we may see uh, a change in in tone, perhaps. I'd be interested if that's the case. Uh, Yeah, the next play seems sort of small. Um, And was, well, we can get to that in a second. who would so Chris would be God, if <laughs> uh, known as the Lord. Um, uh, John, who would you be? Uh, I would be an usher or stage crew because I'm not being in this fucking play. Uh, N- Noah, maybe <laughs> I like that character. Yeah. That was my favorite scene of the play. Hey, was, um, I'm happy. I'm happy to clean the bathrooms during this production. I don't need to be on stage for this. I really like, are you talking about the bit about the, I really like the bit about the kegs. Yeah, Noah arguing that he should take two kegs of whiskey on the ark instead of one. Is that, that is not in the Bible. <laughs> there are a few things I wondered whether it's in the Bible. May I, I ask don't have, remember Have that. either of you read the Bible? Have either of you I've read, read the Bible? it cover to cover, yeah. No, you have not. Yeah. No. Yeah. I believe he has. I have not. I read um I read probably most of Genesis in elementary or not elementary school, in high school as like a but in a literature context. Hmm. Um But it's I mean the play does also weird things where it like skips over like it like skips over Abraham Isaac like like it Yeah, it didn't I thought that was gonna be a scene. It didn't have a or like yeah, even like the, the the what is it? What do you call it if that happens in Eden, the fall from grace or whatever? It's yeah. mentioned, but I mean, it's mentioned, yeah, but I thought so that would be like you, you would say, think that would have been the scene. The snake would be really good. The but, uh, okay. but I do think it's interesting. Okay, so I will, okay, then even okay, so to point to something that is interesting is. You see, like you do get like a behind-the-scenes peek at like, like you never see like heaven during these things. Like you always see like, like you see like I feel like the main playing space is often like heaven, where he's like, "Do you hear what's going back on on Earth?" Almost in like a Greek <laughs> mythology sort of way of like. Yeah, I like back- at the end when God like kind of forgets that Earth exists and then goes down around the time of Jesus. It's like, oh, I forgot about you guys. One thing we could talk about too is the this gender in in the play, which is also pretty terrible. I mean, I don't know if Noah's Why wife. Why is that gender in the Bible? Well, but I don't know if Noah's wife is given a name in the Bible or Cain's wife, but they're just known as Noah's wife and Cain's woman in this play, and that scene with like we don't get Eve. Do we? Yeah, he's in the play. That scene was like Cain threatening to rape Cain's wife and her being like, well, I wouldn't fight for long. There are plenty of other problematic things with this play, but that's another one. Add the list. (laughs) We're coming for you. This shit is canceled. Um, 
which I don't think matters because I don't think anyone's done it here. I mean, did you look up production history? Do you know I, when the last production was in New York or? I don't know. Maybe someone's doing a Zoom reading of it and we just haven't, we just haven't found out about it yet. Um, is there anything that you would like, do we have a dream production? Is it too cringy? Like, I feel like this is another one where like, if like Jeremy Harris uh, or, you know, what I said about an Abraham's bosom, if anyone wanted to like, find the script and sort of like reconstruct it. I actually think that like with a different book, it like has sort of like the, it could be a really cool musical. <laughs> um, Gospel musical. Yeah. Um, I think that like, I think putting in a racial critique in it would make a lot of sense and could be really powerful. Um, but I don't know. Right. I feel like the, there just isn't much to hang your hat on. Like, right. There could be like a racial critique, but like, it's just the play itself is not very good at all. I would say, I mean, He doesn't seem like a terrible writer. It's not as in um, word for word. It's it's the the narrative isn't there. But I would believe I don't know he was probably he was uh, Algonquin Roundtable. He was probably like a good essayist and stuff. Oh dear. I yeah I don't I mean it, it it's just a weird like a wit. It's a weird play that the. the the jokes don't land like it just i mean and it, it, uh, I, it's, it's just from that noah scene it it's a shitty boring fucking play yeah. oh and, <laughs> all right uh next week we're gonna be reading um susan glassbell's allison house allison's house um which looks pretty interesting it seems like it's sort of a uh like take on uh emily dickens dickinson um sort of story um Interestingly, the Dickinson estate didn't give her permission to use her name. Um, and I think the play was sort of like lukewarmly received at the time. Apparently, um, noted critic Brooke Atkinson was very like angry about the prize going to this play, even though he really liked Susan Glassdale. Um, mm. And so I think it's one where I think if we look back, I've never heard of Susan, um, Ms. Glassdale. Um, but it seems like there's a lot of very cool plays in her back catalog. And this is the one that maybe got the Pulitzer, um, but maybe not the one that deserved it, but I'm excited to read it. Wait, I was wondering, is there like a, a very, very short synopsis of the play? I can read it. Um, I want to try to guess what happens at the end and see how close we get. Okay. Oh, do you want to do predictions? Yeah. Well, that's fun. Um, the less I know, I prefer. Okay, well, Chris, you can go. But don't listen. <laughs> Just like whatever's on the back cover of the thing. Yeah. Um, it is 18 years since Alison Stanhope, the country's foremost poet, died. Now the house she lived in must be sold, but it holds secrets. Did Alison sacrifice the man she loved for the sake of her family's reputation? Um, and whom did such sacrifices benefit? So she definitely did sacrifice. Um, the play's struggles are set in 1899 on the cusp of the 20th century in which very different values will come to prevail. Inspired by the life and work of the American poet, Emily Dickinson, Glass Bell set the play in her native Iowa. 
far out, man. Um, and this has been revived a little What's bit. What's your predict prediction of what happens? In I think she did, did, did like solely this man's name to benefit her family, but was made to do it by her evil stepdaddy. So I'm saying, <laughs> I think I think I think her mommy remarried. I think the play will turn on something found. Chris, that's my guess. I think a manuscript will be lost. Manuscript. All right. Uh, well, fingers crossed that one of us is right. Uh, maybe all three. All right. Uh, until then. <laughs> Say good night, folks. Good night, good night folks. Come cheer again. Happy days are here again.